Now, I know our Bibles say transfigured. But every time I hear the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, and I've heard it now for quite a while, several years, almost every year, every time I hear about the transfiguration of Jesus, I still, some of the first images that come to my mind are of Optimus Prime and our other robots in disguise. It's okay. You can laugh at me. It's okay. I still think about those transformers, but I don't think it's all my fault. We say transfigured, but what Mark really said was that Jesus was transformed, where we get the word metamorphosis. So when I think about Jesus being transformed, I can't help but have in my mind, okay? Can't help it. And what else am I supposed to think of, really, as you think about particularly Mark's account of the story? Because Mark doesn't help me with having images in my mind. Mark doesn't tell us what the transfiguration of Jesus really looked like. Mark doesn't tell us how long this transfiguration lasted. Mark doesn't tell us why Jesus only chose three of his disciples to go with him on the mountain. Mark doesn't tell us what the disciples are actually thinking. Mark doesn't tell us anything that Jesus said there up on the mountain. Mark doesn't say, hey, right before he did this, Jesus said, hey, guys, watch this. Mark doesn't tell us a whole lot about the experience. There are a lot of questions we can have after reading Mark's account of the transfiguration. So if you want details about what happened, you'll have to go talk talk to Matthew and Luke because they do a better job of giving details. And so we can look at that then. We realize Mark isn't so concerned as giving us details as he is of telling you what he really thinks about Jesus. And we can look at this experience of the transfiguration, the transformation of Jesus, and we can conclude what Mark thinks about Jesus. We can conclude so by thinking about who is up there on the mountain with Jesus, particularly Moses and Elijah. Moses, the one, the great prophet who received the law of God for the people to hear, to respond to. We can think about the great prophet Elijah. It means so much to the people of God. And here you have these two people speaking with Jesus. And what Mark is really saying is Jesus is the fulfillment of both of these two men of God. And even the fact that they're on top of a mountain... The mountain is a common place for God to show up and for God to speak. Moses received the Ten Commandments. Guess where? The mountain of God. God's people met God. The mountain of God. God showed up around there. Even the prophet Elijah. You may remember the one time he took on a few hundred, the prophets of Baal. Guess where he did that? The mountain of God. So here you have Jesus. You have Elijah and Moses all speaking with Jesus. And very clearly, I think if we pay attention, we can understand what Mark is trying to tell us about Jesus. He is the fulfillment of both of these men. He is the Messiah we have been waiting for. And I think we have to see that. I think we can't read that story without coming away from that. That Jesus is the one we had been told about. 
But there's something else I think we can see and take from that experience on the mountain as well, something else that we can uh, understand. And I think at least we should come away from this transfiguration experience, whatever it was, whatever it looked like, we can come away thinking, man, God is great. God is pretty awesome. So that the words from the psalmist from Psalm 50 that Patty read a few moments ago ring true. The mighty one, God, the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. And out of Zion, God shines forth. God is awesome. And those of us who have had our own mountaintop experiences can affirm that God is awesome. Can't we? Those of us who have been healed can say we know the power of God, can't we? Those of us who understand I'm not what I used to be because of something God has shown me, we can affirm the power of God, can't we? Let the redeemed say so. I think at the very least what we can see, Mark is telling us, that God is awesome. In the very literal sense of the word. Y'all know how I feel about that word. We don't just throw that word around. God is awesome. Is powerful. Is mighty. God is God. And thank God for that. But you know, there's something about this mountaintop experience That also speaks loud and clear to me. Kind of reminds me of a little bit something that's wrong with me as well. Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth? If you're a husband, just go ahead and say yes anyway, y'all, okay? Just get it over with. You know what I mean. You, you, You say something you didn't mean to say. You know, you say it and it just comes out you think, oh. Man, I wish I could take that back. I kind of wonder if that's how Peter felt when he spoke up. Now, it's interesting to me that on this great experience that Mark is telling us about, we don't know anything Jesus said up on this mountain, but we know something Peter said. Hmm? And if you think about how confused I am, thinking about transformers and everything, about the transfiguration of Jesus, I think then we can feel a little, little bad for Peter. We can kind of feel the pain of Peter and the disciples because they're in this experience. If we don't know what it is 2,000 years later, how in the world do we expect them to know as they go through it? Sometimes in our conversations or in our experiences, we don't understand how they might impact us later on while we're going through them. We don't understand how the word that we might hear right now could dictate something we do later on. We don't understand these kinds of things when we're going through them. And so there you have Peter, James, and John here on the mountain seeing the awesomeness of God. Were they supposed to know what was going on? I don't know. The last time Jesus had led the disciples up a mountain, he had given them a special job. He had called them apostles. And so maybe as Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, John, come with me. Maybe they're thinking in their mind, oh, Jesus got something good for us now. He called us apostles before. What's he going to call us now? Us three special ones. We got something good. And then all of a sudden, he goes, 
on them. They were terrified. Imagine them, these disciples, jaw dropped in awe and wonder, being terrified of what's going on. And Peter says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. No kidding. Why do you think I brought you up here? Why do you think you're sitting where you are right now? It is good for you to be here. Let me make three dwellings, Peter continues. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, when we think about this text and this experience, and we think about Peter wanting to make these tents, really what he said, we think about a couple of things. We try to explain it away, or explain it, make sense of it at least that maybe just Peter was being hospitable. Maybe these are three, two guests with Jesus and to make them comfortable, to have them enjoy their stay again on earth. I don't know. Give them a tent. Maybe it'll make them more comfortable. Or maybe Peter had in his mind the festival of Booth, which was a religious festival that the people of God, they would go out and live in tents for a certain amount of time so they could remember the time that they lived in the desert in tents. And God was with them. So maybe what Peter said was a confession of faith because he believed that God was right there with them. Who really knows? Jesus never tells us, or tells Peter at least, that, yeah, you know what, Peter, that's a good idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? But I think Mark tells us whether it was a good idea or not. See, Mark says, Peter said, it is good for us to be here. Blah, 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 blah. And then Mark says, he did not know what to say, for he was terrified. It's almost like a, bless his heart. (laughs) He was so scared. Y'all, he didn't make, what he just said didn't make sense. It's it's okay, forgive him, because they were terrified, right? And we don't know that he just blurted out, or did the disciples say, you know what, I'm not going to say it, you say say something. Who knows? But cut them some slack. They were afraid. What he said didn't make sense at all. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Now, think about that sentence. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. He didn't know what to say, but he said something anyway. That made me think about the relationship that you and I have with silence. Us and silence don't get along very well sometimes, do we? Go somewhere, anywhere where there's a lot of people and you're bound to find find a bunch of people with headphones on, listening to something else. Sometimes our, our older generations, they, all these young kids, all they do is listen to this, and they always got their radio bland. But then you got to remind them, well, wait a minute, who's the one with TVs in every room of the house as well? Or when we watch the news, you ever notice that? You can't just listen to the person that's speaking. You've got to read the words going down the bottom as well. You've got to keep up with the stock market, too. You've got to see what time it is on the East Coast, around the world. You've got to see what's coming up next all at once. We have a problem with silence. 
Or you go maybe at a movie or at the mall or somewhere and somebody's little kid is getting a little disruptive. You know, you want them to be quiet. And so what do you do? The most obvious thing. That's real silent, isn't it? We don't know how to be silent. We don't know, maybe, how to just be somewhere. I was thinking about that this week because I finally finished a project I've been working on for about six weeks now, at least six weeks, taking all my old CDs that I had packed up and putting them all on the computer to have it a fingertip if I wanted to. And when it was all said and done, I had over 9,000 songs. So if I wanted to, iTunes tells me that I could push play and I could listen to my whole library without repeating one single song for 25.6 days. I thought, when am I ever going to do that? When am I ever going to push play and listen to the songs I got for 25.6? I can't do anything for 25.6 days. But even in the fact that we know that, that iTunes says, I'm going to tell them how much, how much they can listen to, that, that speaks to, I think, that need we have for, for noise. We are very uncomfortable with silence. Across the world right now, people just like you, are sitting in pews, or sitting in chairs, listening to people just like me. And most of them, they're keeping pretty quiet. Look, you're all a bunch of nice folk. Look at you. You're pretty quiet. But I know what it's like to sit in the pew. I remember. I remember sitting there keeping quiet myself. And as I'm sitting there keeping quiet, my eyes tuned on whoever's speaking, I can remember how quickly my mind wanders. I start thinking about lunch. Y'all can laugh. Go ahead. I know. Yeah, yeah. Start thinking about lunch. Or I start thinking about things that are really going on in my life that I would like God to do something about. Start thinking about the bills. Start thinking about you know who. I'm not listening. I'm not really silent either. Just because our mouth is closed doesn't mean we're silent in here. Why do you think God has to speak to some of us in dreams? That's the only time he can get a word in edgewise. Maybe. We have a problem with silence. Maybe we're afraid of silence. You know, we use phrases like, there was an eerie silence. Or we say that someone was dead silent. Yeah, that's real encouraging, isn't it? We aren't comfortable without noise. And maybe we just don't know how to be silent. See, we can't help but think of all our problems as we sit there quietly. We can't help but be worried about what's going on in our our world right now, what's going to happen next, or what i got to worry about at work tomorrow. We can't help but not be silent in ourselves. But friends, what I want you to understand and what I want you to hear One is that God speaks. God speaks to us. God speaks a word of hope. God speaks a word of love and mercy. God speaks a word of grace. God speaks a word of forgiveness. 
God is not done talking. That Bible may have been closed and the words written down many, many, many years ago, but it doesn't mean that God is finished talking. The word that you and I need to hear of forgiveness and reconciliation and of new life, God still speaks today. Sometimes we're just not able to hear it. Not only did Jesus want to show the disciples something on that mountain, God wanted to speak as well. Sometimes we're too busy or we're too distracted. Maybe we're too fearful that we can't find a silent place in our hearts to allow God to speak to us. Some of us are worried right now. Man, is he almost done? We're thinking about other things. I just told you the good news that God speaks to us, but then we're thinking, man, why is everybody moving around? Is it going to rain today? It sure is stuffy in here, isn't it? Y'all with me? I want you to find your bulletin real quick and notice that every week we have a now what section right under the, the sermon title, right? I want you to look at that. As you come here this morning to hear God speaking to you, we have something to do in response. And for us this week is to practice silence every day this week. To make time to pray and include silence as a part of our prayer. And even in our conversations and lives with other people to include silence too. Now, I want to acknowledge that I know that can be very difficult. You're talking to one of the biggest mouth people in this place. But we have to find silence in our lives. Find a time that works for you. You know, there's no time of the day that's more holier than another. Plan a time when you know, God, I am going to be silent. And, and do me a favor. Turn off the TV. Turn down the radio. Turn down the phone. And just to clarify, vibrate is not silence. Turn it down. Turn it off. And have that time to focus. Take a passage from Scripture and just read it. Don't try to overread it. Don't try to overanalyze it. Just hear it. And be silent. And when your brain starts to wonder, like mine will, find that word, maybe that faith word or that silence word. When you find yourself wondering, repeat that word so that you can come back to the silence you can have. And in that silence, hear what God is willing I know it may sound silly to you, but my images of transformers bouncing around in my mind, that was the way that God once spoke to me many years ago in my silence. Taught me something. It sounds silly, I know, but it taught me something. But when we are willing to be silent, God,
So we need to pray. We need to pray because we get distracted by a whole lot of things. So much so that we can't hear God speaking to us. And if you want to be more faithful to God so that you can hear God more, I want you to pray with me. Oh God, you have spoken to your people. You have revealed to us your word. We have your word at our fingertips. We have your presence with us every day, and yet still, still, somehow, we have trouble hearing you. Teach us silence. Teach us how to be silent so we can hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.